Over the past few years, there have been several companies that have entered into a new market where you can order online <clears throat> any dinner you want, and they will send you a box with everything in it. Companies like HelloFresh and Blue Apron. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever ordered? Oh, wow, a lot of you. Okay. <clears throat> Either you don't know how to cook, <laughs> or you weren't bothered to go shopping and had nothing at home. Typically how it is in my house, I'm usually with my wife trying to make something and we open the cupboards only to find out we don't have something and we're scrambling to figure out through Google what's the best substitute for sour cream or buttermilk or, or something. We, we don't have it and we've always wondered if we could just go to the website and order online, we'd just get a box and it would be all in there, the meat, the veggies, the spices, the sour cream, the thing we don't have. And the only thing we've got to do is bring the pots and the pans and the spatula and figure out how to follow a recipe. And as long as we can do that, we can make a delicious meal because everything I need to make the meal is in the box, right? So I was thinking about that this past week, not about the food, but about life. If I can get a box with everything in it to make a meal, do I have everything I need for life? It's a question worth pondering, isn't it? Do I have everything I need for life? Spiritually speaking, do I have everything I need to be successful as a child of God in this world? To be honest, many of us functionally believe that we have been blessed with all spiritual gifts in heavenly places. But if we're honest with ourselves and if we do some soul searching, I think many of us would agree that functionally while we give mental assent to that truth, we don't live that way in our life, do we? We believe that God is preparing a kingdom and we're going to enjoy him forever, but there's nothing wrong, God, with a little bit of materialism here on earth. Why not live the good life now? We know that God loves us and provides for us, but there's nothing wrong with a little stock market manipulation or 401k stressing, right? It's okay. We know that God loves us unconditionally. Nothing wrong with curating the right vibe and look on social media so that everybody knows we got it all together and, and we can demonstrate why they should love us, right? Mentally, we get it. Intellectually, we get it. But oftentimes... The truth is that in our life and the way we live, we often deny that truth, don't we? Do we have everything that we need to live? We are in the concluding sermon of a sermon series we began nine weeks ago. We're in John chapter 16. And we've titled this sermon series, The Follower's Trail Guide. And Jesus, from chapter 13 of the Gospel of John to chapter 16 has been teaching his disciples in this extended time uh, just before he is going to be betrayed. When we see him now in chapter 16, they have left the upper room and they are now walking across the Kidron Valley and they are now walking up the Mount of Olives and their destination is at the top where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Because in just one or two hours from this moment, Judas is going to come and betray Jesus. And the disciples are following and Jesus is teaching. 
And Jesus has been pouring out his heart. He's been encouraging them, comforting them, helping them to continue with courage to live in this world, even though he was leaving. And we've seen him cover a number of things over the last nine weeks. And today we come to his final words. We're going to be in John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33. And as we look at this final message, what Jesus is going to communicate to us is that in Jesus, or in Jesus' victory, he provides us with everything we need to follow him. Jesus' victory provides us with everything we need to follow him. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, these final words of Jesus before his death, to his disciples, he gives us three resources that we receive because of what Jesus has done for us. Three resources we receive because of his victory. The first resource we find is that Jesus' victory provides access. Jesus' victory provides access. I am in John chapter 16, starting in verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus has been teaching his disciples, comforting them, sharing with them his heart over the last four chapters. And he shared with them a tremendous number of truths to encourage them and to help them on their way. And now he says that, and, and we've seen even last week, they could, they're confused. The disciples are walking behind Jesus. They're listening to him teach. And last week we saw them elbowing to each other and saying, hey, did you get that? No, I didn't get it. Hey, did you get that? No, hey, why don't you ask him? I'm not asking him, you ask him. And you saw that struggle in their lives as they didn't get it. And this isn't the first time we see the disciples struggle, is it? Over and over again in the scriptures, we find the disciples listening to Jesus and they just don't get it. They're confused. And Jesus says that the hour is coming when the confusion will be removed and it will all be made plain to them. Notice he says that the hour is coming. The hour that Jesus refers to here is the time after the resurrection and after the ascension when the Spirit of God has been poured upon his disciples and the church has been born and when the Spirit comes, he comes to dwell in them and he will guide them into truth. And when that happens, all of the things that Jesus has taught and said would be made plain. The hour is coming when it will not be confusing any more. But also in that hour, if you notice, Jesus says there's going to be a new relationship with the Father. You see, up to this point, for the last three and a half years, Jesus has physically been present with his disciples. They've walked with him. Whenever they had a need, Jesus was there to provide. When in the middle of the storm, Jesus was there to stop the storm. When they needed something, Jesus was there to do whatever needed to be done. When they had a question, Jesus was there, if they were brave enough, to ask him. But Jesus is leaving. He's not going to be with them anymore physically. 
But that opens the door for a new opportunity. Jesus says that because he's leaving, not only will the Holy Spirit come, which we looked at over the last few weeks, but now we have a new relationship with the Father. We have an all-access pass to the Heavenly Father. Have you ever been to a sporting event or a concert where you had an all-access pass? Anybody? A couple of you. Before COVID, I had one of those passes, that all-access pass at Little Caesars Arena where the Pistons play. I had a ticket that got me courtside. You know those seats right along the court? I was sitting almost mid-court. I could see them sweat. <laughs> they, could, they were yelling out plays. They were shoving and, and doing things, things you can't see really well on TV. But sitting courtside, you can see everything. And then that pass that I had also got me into the back room. You see, in the back room was food, <laughs> lots of food and good food and carving station and desserts. And uh, let me tell you, it was good. It was good. And I didn't have to worry about anybody stopping me, anybody throwing me out, because I had the pass. And any time anybody asked, I just showed the pass. I go wherever I wanted. You see, friends, you and I, spiritually speaking, we have an all-access pass to the Father, amen? 24-7, no matter what's happening in life, no matter what storms may be going on, no matter what time of day it might be, we get to go to the Father at any time, at any place, with any request, we have an all-access pass, amen? That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace where we might receive mercy and find help, find grace to help in time of need. Need help? The throne room of God is open. The doors of heaven have been thrown open because Jesus Christ did the impossible on the cross of Calvary and now we have an all-access pass to the Father in heaven. And Jesus in verse number 28 adds a very interesting comment. He basically summarizes the salvation story in one verse. Notice what he says. It has four parts. I came from the Father. He, the speaking of the eternality of Jesus, the Son, who has been with the Father from the very beginning. That's why John, when he starts the gospel in chapter 1 and verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has always been God. He's been with God for all of eternity past. Jesus has existed with God. And then Jesus says, and have come into the world. It speaks of his incarnation. You see, Jesus was God, fully God, and yet he did not hold on to the privilege of being God as something that was his right. He laid aside his right, clothed himself with the flesh of mortal men, and he came into this world born of a virgin, born just like you and me, born like all the babies we just dedicated. Jesus was born. He came into this earth. And that's why John says in chapter 1 and verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus goes on to say, and now I'm leaving the world. That's referring to a time for Jesus that's just a few hours from now when he will die on a cross. He's leaving the world through death. And he's making reference to the fact that he's leaving the world. And then he says, and going to the Father. It points to his resurrection and ascension where he will finally take his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God where Jesus continues to this day seated because his work has been finished. Friends, that's the whole summary of salvation. 
You see, from beginning to end, this salvation story did not originate with you and me. It originated in the mind of the triune God before the foundation of the world. This salvation story does not require perfection on your part or mine. It does not require you and me to check all the boxes. It only requires us to have faith in the grace and love of an almighty God who paid the penalty you and I could never pay. How many of you are thankful that the salvation story is his story and not ours? Amen? Amen. We have an all-access pass to God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. He ripped the veil and tore open the doors of heaven so that you and I can present our requests to God. And Jesus says that we do so in the name of Jesus. And that's how we pray. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Spirit. Now, you should have covered this last week, but just to let me remind you, when we just tack on the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer, that, that's not a magical incantation that gets us what we want. You guys realize that, right? Right? We just don't throw in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer and expect it all to happen. God is not a genie that you just rub a lamp and get three wishes, although that's how we seem to treat him. You see, when we pray in Jesus' name, it means that we're praying on his merit and not ours. We have no merit. We have no worth. We have no standing before God, but Jesus does. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we're coming to the Father in the name of Jesus who has the merit and the worth and the righteousness that we don't have. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're not coming to God the Father to get our will done, to get our selfish desires accomplished. When we pray in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, Father, not my will, but... Oh, don't you just hate praying that? Because I really would like some of my will to be done. I really, I really do. I really wish God would just do it my way. Honestly speaking, that's not true. Because if God did it my way, I'd have messed it all up. When we come in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, Father, not my will. I want your will and your desires for me to be accomplished in my life. That's what it means to come in Jesus' name. Friends, I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity, so do you, to come to the Father in the name of Jesus the Son because of what he has done for us. Jesus' victory gives us access to the throne room of God. The second thing we find in these verses is that Jesus' victory provides clarity. Jesus' victory provides clarity. Notice verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. <clears throat> the disciples, all of a sudden, have an aha moment. The light bulb turns on. They said, we got it. We understand. You're from God and we don't have to ask any questions. You got it all. And what do we know about the disciples all throughout the Gospels? Every time they think they got it, what's the truth? They ain't got it. And here's another moment. We just thought they thought they, thought they got it. But the truth is, they don't have it. In fact, notice Jesus' response. By the way, in the process of making this aha moment declaration, they make a declaration of faith in Jesus. They affirm that Jesus came down from God. Don't miss that. That's a declaration of faith on the part of the disciples about who they believe Jesus is. 
Now the rest of the stuff that they talked about, look at his response in verse number 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Some people read Jesus' response as, a, as sarcastic, but I don't think so. And the reason is I never see Jesus ever respond to his disciples sarcastically. Do you? He responds to Pharisees and Sadducees and all of those religious leaders with sarcasm, but I don't ever see Jesus responding to his disciples with sarcasm. He treats them as a father and he loves them. And so I don't see these words as sarcastic. I believe he receives their affirmation of faith. He accepts it. He affirms it. But he also knows that that their faith is weak. And that's what he says. He says, look, in just a few few hours, you're going to be scattered. See, the the disciples thought, hey, the the, the clouds of confusion are leaving. Isn't it wonderful? And Jesus is saying, oh, slow down, slow down. The storm clouds are gathering over your heads. And as soon as those storm clouds come, you're going to scatter away from me. And they're going to scatter because of what's coming. And Jesus knows that. And yet... He tells them this not as an indictment, but to encourage them that even though they are going to abandon him and they are going to run away from him, he will never abandon them. Here's how one commentator put it. The glue of Christianity is not the disciples. It is Jesus who will not abandon the disciples or let them become orphans, even though they would leave Jesus when the pressures come to them. Friends, aren't you thankful for Jesus who never leaves us? That no matter how bad we act or how bad we mess up, Jesus never leaves us, never forsakes us, never lets us go. To put it a different way, when storm clouds come and things get tough, it isn't the strength of our belief that sustains us through the storm. Rather, it is the strength of God's love and grace in our life that holds us firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's all about him and nothing to do with us. And that's what Jesus is telling them. You're going to run away. You're going to leave me alone. But I am, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. In fact, the Father has been with Jesus from the very beginning. For all of eternity, the Father has been with Jesus, and Jesus has a a, a firm foundation. He rests upon his relationship with the Father to carry him through. From the moment he set foot on this earth, the Father has been with him. Even now, as he's approaching the Garden of Gethsemane, the Father is with him. The ordeal he's about to face, the beating, the agony, the pain, the crucifixion, the death, all of it, he knows the Father is going to be with him. And that sustains him and takes him through this valley. And even though Jesus says here that everyone's going to abandon me and leave me alone, the Father is with me. There's going to be one moment where that's not going to be true. You see, in just a few hours, Jesus is going to be hung on a cross. With three nails holding his hands and his feet, he's going to be bleeding from every side. There's a crown of thorns that's going to be hammered into his head, his back ripped open by Roman soldiers with whips. And there on the cross, as darkness begins to cover the land, 
this sinless, spotless, perfect, unblemished Lamb of God is going to be made sin for you and for me. And at that precise moment, God the Father is going to turn his face away. And for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be abandoned by the Father. And he's going to know what abandonment really looks like. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. And at that moment, God the Father turned his face and couldn't look upon his son again. Friends, Jesus felt that abandonment for you and for me. Jesus went to the cross alone for you and for me. And he did that so you would never have to be alone or abandoned ever again. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus told his disciples, I will be with you forever, even to the end of the world. Friends, you never have to be alone because Jesus is with you. Amen? Do you believe that? That no matter how hard life gets, no matter how much pain there is, no matter how much sorrow may fill your heart, Jesus never leaves you or forsakes you. Do you realize that he knows your deepest, darkest secrets? He knows how bad you failed. You you may have messed up this morning again, but know that he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, and his love never fails. I'm so thankful for a God who loves us that much. When we are tempted to feel alone, when we feel abandoned, when life's too tough and we're not sure where to turn, can I encourage you, turn to the cross. Because the cross shouts the loudest about the love of Jesus Christ. The extent to which the Father would go to demonstrate his love for you and for me. That you never have to be alone. That you never have to feel unloved because God loves you forever. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you and me on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Because of what Jesus has done, we have clarity. You have to understand, we stand on this side of the cross. We look back 2,000 years ago and we understand what all of this is about. We understand what Jesus was talking about. We understand the cross and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. It makes sense now to us. But for these disciples, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. Their response to him was to fail him. Friends, our response cannot be to fail him. Because the cross has brought us clarity. We know who Jesus is. We know where Jesus is now at the right hand of the throne of God. We have access there, but understand we have clarity. Don't let the fog of confusion of your life cloud out the fact that the cross is true, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that you have the love of God reigning and ruling in your heart if you're a child of God. Because of Jesus Christ, we have clarity over who Jesus is and what he has done. If you're in a season of loneliness, look to the cross. If you're in a season of suffering, look to the cross. May the cross remind you and me of the love that God has for you and for me. And so in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to follow him. Because of his victory, we have access to the Father. Because of his victory, we have clarity on who Jesus is and what he has done. But finally, Jesus' victory provides peace. I'm in verse 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have said these things 
to you. He's referring to the sum total of everything he's talked about over the last four chapters. All of this was encouragement. All of this was blessing to them to encourage them to stay the course. All of this has been provided to them. Now, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Clarity would come after the resurrection. But all of this has been spoken to them so that in me you may have peace. That's a strange place to find peace. Aren't you and I looking for peace all over the world? We're looking for peace from the White House to our politicians to policies. We're looking for peace in our 401ks. Never mind. Um, Our bank accounts. We're looking for peace somewhere for somebody to do something. And yet the Bible says that there's only one place you can find peace, and that's not here, but that's in Jesus. Amen? Jesus says, all of this stuff I have just told you, so that in me you may have peace. Peace is a funny thing. We are looking for peace in our families, and we're not finding it. Looking for peace in our jobs and our wealth, and we can't find it there. Looking for peace under every rock and around every corner, and we can't find it because peace isn't found any of those places. Peace is only found in Jesus. And Jesus says, Notice, Jesus doesn't say that the blessing of peace comes when you can avoid all the bad days of your life. Jesus doesn't say that peace comes when you can dodge all the difficulties that life throws at you. Jesus doesn't say you get to skip and dance right through the yellow brick road that the life of a Christian is a bed of roses. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I've said all these things. Oh, by the way, I'm going to the cross in just an hour or two. But in me, you may have peace. Leon Morris, commentator on this passage, tells a story about an artist that he read about. An artist who wanted to capture the essence of peace. And after he thought and prayed and thought and prayed for a while, he finally drew a canvas. And of all the things that he could have chosen to demonstrate peace, do you know what he drew? He drew a dark and dreary storm. Clouds, dark and menacing, lightning streaking across the sky, waves that had been churned up by the wind, mountain high, crashing against a rocky shore. In one corner in the backdrop, there's a large ship that's in the process of being dashed against the rock and it's sinking. On the other side in the background, there's the body of a sailor who's drowned. This visual is very clear that this storm is wild and violent and fatal to anybody who's caught in it. And yet in the midst of all of that chaos and violence, in the foreground of this painting, there's a large rock. And right in the middle of the rock, there's a crack. And in the crack, there's a dove who's built her nest in the rock face of that rock. And she's sitting on her eggs, safe and secure. And at the bottom of the painting is one word, peace. Friends, you and I define peace as the absence of conflict. That's not true. You and I want to define peace as the absence of storms, and that's also not true. 
You see, peace isn't the absence of storms or conflict. Peace is the presence of God in our lives, in the middle of storms, and through the midst of conflict. That's the only place you can find peace, is knowing him and having him in your life. When you wake up at 2 in the morning because your baby's crying, you can have peace. You can. Tomorrow when you go into work and there may be a pink slip waiting for you, you can still have peace. When you go to the doctor's office this week and the report's not good, you can still have peace. You see, peace isn't the absence of all of those things. Peace is knowing your Savior, that that he is ruling and reigning in your heart, and that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the violence, he's got you. And because you know exactly where you are, you are in the palm of his hand, you can have peace. The world doesn't understand that. Those who don't know Jesus Christ, they don't understand that. But if you know him, then your life in the midst of a storm can be filled with joy and peace because Jesus is ruling and reigning in your heart. Now, I wish Jesus had just ended his sermon right there, but he doesn't. You know what he goes on to say? Something I wish he had just deleted. He says, in this world you will have Tribulation, I don't like that word. See, tribulation means pressure. It means being squeezed tightly. It's, used of a, it's, it's a word that's used of a grape being squeezed. What happens to a grape that's being squeezed? What's on the inside comes outside. That's what the word tribulation pictures. This world will squeeze us. Personally, Physically, relationally, socially, financially, it will squeeze us every chance it gets in every capacity, in every sphere. This world will squeeze us. And what's on the inside will come out. So the question is what's on the inside. But here, I want to offer this suggestion to you. Jesus promises us in this verse tribulation. In contrast, he offers us peace. Did you see that in this verse? He promises us tribulation in this world, but he offers us peace. Why is that? You see, Jesus never forces himself upon you. Never. He stands with arms open wide, peace in his hands. It's available for anyone who wants to take it. He never forces himself upon you. So when you're in the middle of a storm, reach out and grab it because the tribulation is promised, peace is offered. Can you grab it? God's peace is always present and available to all of us who live in this world. And Jesus goes on to say, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, be courageous. Jesus has overcome the world. Everything may be collapsing around us. Our bank accounts may be nothing. Our 401ks are gone. This, This world seems to be in chaos. There's war going on everywhere. But take heart, be courageous, because Jesus has overcome the world. It's a really good place for an amen. Church, do you believe that? I'm not so sure you do. Ah, some of you are working on it. Praise God. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for being honest. So am I. You guys would have a whole lot different 
voice and excitement if your football team was scoring a touchdown. And yet, when we say Jesus has overcome the world, yay. Seriously? You don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't. And yet, Jesus has overcome the world. I don't know how I'll feel tomorrow. I don't even know if I'll be alive tomorrow. But if I'm not, guess where I'm going to be? I'm going to be with him. Jesus has overcome the world. I know where I'm going. I know who's got me. I know who holds tomorrow. And it ain't me. It's him. And because I know him and because he rules and reigns in my heart, I get to cheer up and take courage because he has overcome the world. Jesus is saying these words. He may even be looking across the horizon. He may even be seeing the torchlights of Judas and his company of soldiers coming up the other side of the Mount of Olives. He may be able to see that at this point. And Jesus doesn't say, I will overcome the world. He says, I have overcome the world. It's a done deal. You see, this whole story of salvation is finished and it is done and we look back and we say thank God for the cross because Jesus has overcome the world he has defeated Satan he has defeated death he has defeated sin he has defeated everything that stood against us and God and he has wiped the slate clean take courage take heart he has overcome the world and yet there's pain in this world There's sorrow in this world. I can't deny any of that because I live it. There's suffering in this world. And yet the truth for every child of God is to look beyond our pain, to look beyond our sorrow, to look beyond our suffering and see our Savior who stands with arms wide open and says, come home, come home. I've got more enough peace for all of you. Come home and receive the peace that only I can bring. That in the middle of your tears, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of the storm, I got you. Can you trust me that no matter what tomorrow brings, I will lead you every one of your tomorrows home? That's what he's saying. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, then you don't know peace. You can go all over this world. You can do every sort of thing you can find your hand to do. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you will never find peace. May I introduce you to Jesus? The perfect Son of God came into this world to die on a cross, not because he was guilty, but because you and I were guilty. It was our guilt, our sin, our shame that took him to a cross where he died in my place and in your place, he became our substitute to pay the penalty that you and I could never pay so that he might make a way to the Father that we didn't deserve. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, it starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my mistakes. I'm sorry for my sin. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and save me? Would you be the Lord and the Savior of my life? If you pray that prayer, if you make that declaration in your heart, Jesus will come. 
He will forgive you your sins. He will make you a child of God. He will bring you into his family. He will give you a joy and a peace that you can explain. That storm may not go. The pain may not go. The situation you're in may not be resolved. But in the middle of all of that mess, his presence spears a dark, a, a dart of light into your heart that you cannot explain where that peace came from. It's because Jesus has invaded your life. If you will say that to him, he will transform your life and you will have an eternity to spend with Jesus enjoying his pleasure and his presence forever. Children of God, those of you who know and love God who have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, this world has nothing but tribulation to offer. But in contrast, he has overcome the world. Amen? In him we have peace. But peace not in the absence of all of this garbage. Peace in the midst of it. We sing a song that was written in the 1800s by a man named Horatius Spafford. You all know the song. It's titled, It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote that song on a ship crossing the Atlantic on his way to England. And you see... Somewhere along the route, a couple of days earlier, another ship carrying his wife and his four daughters were on that same journey, but that ship had an accident and it sunk and all four of his daughters died. The captain of the ship that Horatia was on pointed out the spot to him as they went by and said, there is the spot. And Horatia, overcome with tears and grief, and sorrow ran to his room and wept before God. And in his weeping and in his sorrow, he picked up a pen and he picked up a paper and he wrote unbelievable words. What words? It is well with my soul. The second verse of that song says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. You know what Horatio is saying? Trials are real. The tears are real. The pain is real. The sorrow is real. It's overwhelmingly real. And yet in the midst of that, Though Satan was beating him left and right, knocking him upside down, though the waves were threatening to overcome him with grief, he can still sing, it is well with my soul. Why? Because he knows Jesus. Friend, if you know Jesus, you too can say, it is well with my soul. Father, I thank you for your presence in our midst today. Thank you that you're the overcomer, that you're the victor, that you have conquered sin and death and the grave, that you did what we could never do. You overcame. And because you overcame, we who know you can have peace in this world because this world is not our home. This world is not where we end. There's a home coming for us. And until that day comes when you take us home, would you saturate us with your presence? Would you fill us full of your Holy Spirit? And would you give us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to keep us firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? No matter what storms may come, no matter what seasons of loneliness may come, no matter how hard life may get, 
may we never forget who's got us in the palm of his hand. (laughs) That you are faithful. That you are the only one worthy. That you are the victor who's already won. That we stand together with you in your victory because you have overcome. May that truth continue to resonate in our hearts. And may that transform our lives. And may the world see us and know that Jesus is alive and well in us. Well, thank you for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.